This is the First Presbyterian Church of Irvington podcast. Here at FPC Irvington, we believe the whole church is taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Wherever you hear this message from today, we pray that you are blessed by our ministry and message. Amen. Amen. This Sunday is the final Sunday on the church's liturgical calendar. Today, we celebrate the reign of Christ or Christ the King Sunday. It is a day that focuses on the end of history when Christ shall gather all the nations together in his presence. A day set aside to express our faith that after all is said and done at the end of this world, God's kingdom will come and his reign in our lives and the entire world will be complete. Amen. As Reverend Abiji, when he taught us about eternity, in the presence of Christ, our shepherd king, there will be an accounting, a judgment of each one of us individually and collectively as nations. This judgment shall have consequences for everyone. Next Sunday, will be the first Sunday of Advent, and we will start, start the liturgical or church calendar year anew as we prepare for the coming of Jesus into the world of Christmas. <laughs> so next week, the churches, ours included, will catch up with Macy's and with Walmart because <laughs> you know they've already got their Christmas stuff out. <laughs> Our worship team is busy at work trying to see how we can do Advent in this time of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But let us prepare the lesson that God has for us. Let us pray. <clears throat> God, there are sometimes passages of your word that cause us to shake our heads. What do they really mean? What do they say about who you are? We know that through your Holy Spirit, you can bring clarity and understanding. Yes, Lord. So we pray for your spirit Mm -hmm. to guide us as we enter your scriptures today. Mm -hmm. Remove, we pray, the confusion as the enemy tries to put into our minds. We believe your words are true and life-changing. Yes, Lord. Transform us through your words today. Amen. Amen. This morning, Christ the King, as we heard in our readings today, was no ordinary king. Today, we do not see Christ the King sitting on an earthly throne. We do not see Christ the King with a vast army or an ornate palace. Instead, in scripture, We've heard of Christ the King, who was questioned on the cross, whether he had any authority over power at all. We heard how the criminals made fun of Christ the King. But this morning, as believers, you and I see beyond just the title of Christ the King. You and I, by God's grace, know and believe in our hearts that Christ is the King, our King. Yes. And Christ as king, as our text tells us, is also our good shepherd. Mm-hmm. Christ is no ordinary king. 
He left his throne, his throne, which was perfect in heaven. He left that and came to live here among us. Among us he lived, and he who was also subject to temptations. Jesus lived among us so that he might be put to death as Christ the King, our good shepherd. Many of these references are found in scripture and we heard it. When they refer to the shepherd, they usually mean a king or someone in religious authority. And although he addresses David here, Christ had not come yet. And as we know, Christ then comes to fulfill all of the things that were spoken of in the Old Testament. So among the many names of God that we have, Jehovah Ra, Jehovah meaning Lord, and Ra coming from the Hebrew word for shepherd. So he comes in history, through history, tell, explaining to us his role as Christ the King. And he starts out the passage with many promises, even though the verses are short. I would like you to do as our Bible study class did, Reread the text that we just read and look for all of the promises that he starts with, I will. You will be surprised at the number that are there in just these few verses. Certainly, we know looking through history and today's news, not every king is a good king <laughs> or a good shepherd for their people. What happens when leaders, both secular and sacred, become abusive tyrants? What happens when CEOs of large corporations lie to their workers about the state of their pension plan and betray the public trust? What happens when tele-evangelists manipulate their audience and use money given to them by the public for such trivial items as air-conditioned dog houses? Yes rather than caring for the poor and the needy? What happens when political leaders become self-servant tyrants, using all kinds of back, underhanded, backstabbing tactics to abuse their people and rule them with terror? What happens? We only need to watch the news and to read the papers to know what happens. Well, where were the Israelites when they heard these words of the prophet? Once again, the children of Israel no longer lived in the promised land. They gave that up. And it happened just as Moses said. When Moses sent them to the promised land, he said, be careful. As you live in the land of abundance, he says, you might forget about the Lord your God. And the Israelites did exactly that. Worse than that, worse than just forgetting about God, they turned to other gods. They worshiped false gods. In the end, God caused his enemies to come to destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and take away the Israelites to be slaves in Babylon. That is where they were living when they heard this message. With no country of their own, this is where they dwelled as slaves subject to a foreign nation. But Ezekiel the prophet comes to them. 
And yes, God still sent the prophets, for God did not forget them. Although the Israelites could have thrown up their hands and wondered if they had any future. What is the use, they might have asked. We've been forgotten, forsaken, and lost. Even though they did that to the Lord, they forgot him and forsook him first. But our text begins by saying, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. So the Lord knew where his people were. He knew where they were as captives. But the Lord was going to search for them so that he knew, they knew he was searching for them. And of course, he found them. The Israelites were not forsaken. They weren't forgotten, even though perhaps they deserved it. But they were given a chance to repent. They were given a chance to consider all the things that they had once said and done and given up because of their sinful pride and because they cared more for themselves than they did for God. This is a harsh judgment, speaking as humans. It was devastating. Many people died. Many people were lost. But there was still a small remnant of Israelites that had not forgotten, and God was going to search them out. He describes his devastating time in their history as a day of clouds and darkness. Now, God describes his time of Israel, uh, the history of Israel, as this time of clouds and darkness, doom and gloom, we would say today. It was a time of despair and frustration for God's people. For God took them from what they didn't care about anymore. And once the blessings of the promised land were taken from them, then they began to realize what they had lost. Thankfully, they had a merciful God, a shepherd, who was also a king who, shared, who cares for his sheep. Then the Lord not only was going to seek them, but he was going to help them. The weak, is going, he's going to strengthen by the power of the words of his prophets. But the ways for the sleek and the strong, those who feel they didn't need him as they trusted in themselves more, they will be destroyed. But his promise to them was, I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now God's justice, which displays divine mercy, much more than any of our earthly judgment. In contrast to these abusive leaders, Ezekiel preaches a message of the gospel, passion and grace to his people. The language Ezekiel employs is almost gentle and comforting. We read it and hear it. And we're most likely reminded of the 23rd Psalm, the words which provide us with a beautiful picture in our mind's eye namely that of Christ as the good shepherd, Christ, our shepherd king. In our, in our books as human beings, we would have written off the children of Israel saying they didn't deserve to be saved again, again. They had been delivered from the Egyptians. They had been provided with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They had been taken from the promised land flowing with milk and honey. No longer did they have to struggle for a living. Still, they forgot God, forsook God, and worshiped false God. We might have said, that's enough. But the Lord says, 
I am going to search for them again. I'm going to recover the strays and bind up the weak and the injured. This merciful example reminds us that Christ is no ordinary king. He is our good shepherd who cares for us. He treats us not as the sins that we deserve. Also in our own life today, in our own history, we can see that often we act like the children of Israel. Sometimes we are close to God and he does us close and he holds us close to his heart as he safely leads us and gently guides us. But sometimes we go off on our own path. We forget the direction the Lord has given us. This all too often becomes too easy. Since today's society has many distractions that can distract us. Our own sinful nature with which we live in day in and day out sometimes overcomes the new man or person we need to be. And we fall short of God. Each of us can probably remember a time in our life when these temptations distracted us. Friends, we know that on our own, we are lost. On our own, we could never be recovered. But we're not on our own. Christ the King is our good shepherd. And he told us, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So you and I can rejoice today because we have been found. Amen. We have been found. We are no longer lost. We're no longer straying, but we are in God's flock by God's grace. Christ, our King, who is also our good shepherd, encourages us by seeking us out among the lost. When our good shepherd finds us, Christ, our King, then rescues us. And here comes the exquisite joy of the message of Ezekiel for, the, for those people. How sad it was for them. All the doom and gloom that they felt. But God came and he knew that he could take care of them. The example of the shepherds and the sheep was very real for them because this was their life. They knew what a good shepherd should do. And they knew that the sovereign Lord was going to save them. He was going to provide for them once again, although he never did stop providing for them. And as you can picture the joy of the picture of joy that these people felt when they heard these words, they were going to come back to their own land. All of this would happen. It would take years, but they would come back to Jerusalem. And of course, we know that when they got back to Jerusalem, it wasn't quite like they remembered it. Their enemies had destroyed Jerusalem. The Israelites spent a lot of time rebuilding it, but they were on their own land, at least. They were brought back to that promised land which the Lord God Almighty had given to their forefathers. The Lord is describing here the land that is flowing with milk and honey. And he talks about the, the ravines and the, the water and the rivers. And he talks about the mountain heights that, where, where the temple was going to be located that all of that would be restored to them because their God had not forgotten them. Friends, 
The vaccine is on the way, but our post-COVID-19 world will not be the same. But let us rejoice that God has not forgotten us or forsaken us. Thank you, Lord. So Ezekiel continues that the Lord is going to provide them with rest. And the Lord still does the same for you and for me, his sheep today. At times, people put the wrong emphasis on Jesus. They put the wrong emphasis on Christ the King. They look at him as one who's going to do away with all the earthly enemies that are around. Some expect Christ is going to make a place on heaven like he did. He's going to make a place on earth as he did in heaven. But the Lord through scripture reminds us until the end of time, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And unfortunately, Mm. pandemic. There's going to be all sorts of bad things that happen because this isn't heaven yet. Christ, our King, is the good shepherd. He seeks us out from the millions of people in the world and he finds us. And by his grace, by his awesome grace, Christ rescues us from hell itself. He saves us. He saves us from the torment that would last forever. All because of his mercy and his love for us. Our good shepherd saves us. He saves us for time and eternity. What a blessing to know this. The Lord reminds us that the future is certain for his sheep. He knows us as a group. He knows us as an individual. This also is a part of God's amazing grace. In the gospel of John chapter 10, known as the good shepherd chapter, we read, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the good shepherd. This is Christ our King. My brothers and sisters, let us know that we have not an earthly king, but a heavenly king. Our Christ, our king, is more than just a king. He sits on his heavenly throne, but he came down to endure the throne of the thorn of the cross as our good shepherd. And he gave up his life for us. He searches us out, finds us, rescues us, and takes care of us. Hallelujah. Amen. Friends, if you want to know more about this king, more about this shepherd, If you feel as though you were lost and were now found, please listen carefully to the ways Abigail will give you that you can reach out to us and that we can show you the way to the throne. But as I said, today is Christ the King Sunday, but it's also the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving 2020, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, will be very different. Family dinners will have fewer around the table, not only because of the deaths due to the virus, but now because of the fear of contagion. Whatever your your holiday plans are, please be safe. Be careful now so that we can celebrate a different Christmas in a few weeks, but but still celebrate the birth 
of our king, the shepherd. <laughs> Despite that, this is the week to count our blessings one by one and to thank God for everything from mental health to material health. But does it follow that if we have none of these things then we cannot give thanks? You know the answer to that. That's what our harvest has been about, giving thanks in difficult times. But think about this. If we follow this logic, then it means that if we lack these things, we cannot give thanks. We cannot count our blessings only if we have stuff to count. However, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians encourages us to give thanks for nothing. In fact, he offers us the example of his own thanksgiving for nothing at all, not one physical, tangible, material thing. Instead, Paul gives constant thanks for things which are not things, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, love towards the saints, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the riches of God's glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Amen. None of these blessings can be seen, touched, purchased, or possessed like food, clothing, cars, boats, or homes. And yet, they are the very greatest gifts we could ever receive. Yes, To give thanks for these non-tangibles, praise, is the recognition that it is all about God and not about you. Amen. This approach to thanksgiving runs counter to the conventional wisdom and it refuses to fall step into step with the swarms of shoppers that will surge into the shopping malls this Friday to begin the Christmas buying binge of Black Friday as they know it or as they call it, the biggest shopping day of the year. So in spite all of the problems that we're having with the virus, people will still be out there shopping. But this day, Black Friday, it's not black because it's bad, but according to the merchants, it's the day that they can count on to turn their red or their losses into, that's on their books, into the black, which is good. <laughs> but don't you think they should call it Green Friday instead? The color of money. But again, due to the virus, Black Friday has changed. You can already get Black Friday sales. So we do know that when this happens, people are still going to be going out. We're still going to be shopping like crazy. But let us not forget, number one, the virus. But number two, let us not forget to give thanks for the things, for the gifts that we have already been given. But ponder the perspective of the Apostle Paul. He doesn't give thanks for gold jewelry, smartphones, leather jackets, or computer games, or whatever the version of it was in his day, maybe sandals, maybe a robe, an urn, who knows but he refuses to focus his gaze on things that can be seen because he knows that these things are temporary. Instead, he looks at the, at the essential and eternal things that are invisible to the eye. When he counts his blessings, he lists absolutely nothing you can buy, 
nothing you can own, only faith, love, spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation, inheritance, and power. Paul first gives thanks for faith and love. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul knows that the true sign of success is not a Lexus or Mercedes or a second house, either here or abroad, or a job with the six-figure salary. Instead, success is being a person who trusts Christ completely and loves neighbors consistently. This living out of this vertical and horizontal dimensions of life, we talk about the vertical relationship with God and Jesus and the horizontal relationship with our neighbor is the key to a perfectly balanced, fulfilled, balanced and fulfilling life. Mm. Paul gives his thanks for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, which he prays will come out of our ever expanding relationship of God through Christ. It is with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can finally grasp the riches of God's glorious inheritance, a heavenly inheritance, far more valuable than stocks or bonds, savings accounts or real estate. <laughs> and if you look at your scripture later, which I'm hoping you will do, verses 17 to 19 are one sentence. And it's a complex sentence to be sure. But it is clear that Paul wants the Ephesians to continue to grow in wisdom, enlightenment, hope, and most of all power. And that is the immeasurable greatness of power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. That in all of one sentence. Now the word power was used twice in verse 19 but then twice again in the remaining of this passage that we read today. This is the power that comes to us from Jesus Christ, who's been seated on the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. This power has put Jesus in an ultimate spot of authority, far above all earthly rulers, not only in this age, but in the age to come so that everything on earth is now under the soles of his sandals. But Paul wants to empower the Ephesians and us to be strong disciples of Jesus Christ. But the best part is this, God's amazing power is at work in those of us who believe. And this power is experienced as we take part in the life of the body of Christ, the body of believers known as the Christian church. It doesn't really matter how much wealth or power, or prestige or personal personnel or inventory we control in this world because our greatest influence comes through our work as disciples of Christ. Jesus has power over all things and he shares that power with us, the members of the church. With Jesus, we are never powerless. That's the good news of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and to us. God wants us to be strengthened for our inner being with the power through his spirit. Amen. Power is usually good 
and it strengthens us spiritually. But power makes us nervous when it's exercised in the world. We often associate power with politics and we hate when power is abused by our local or national politicians as we pray for them today. But still, God put his power to work in Jesus Christ and he calls us to be the body of Christ in the world. There are good ways for us to use our God-given power to seek justice, to rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan and plead for the widow. Paul wants us to take him seriously when he speaks of the immeasurable greatness of the power for us who believe. We have faith in our Lord Jesus and love towards the saints. And that's what we're supposed to have according to Paul. But power also to change the world for the better. The church has been significant in the fight for civil rights in the 60s and the 70s. More recently, you heard talking about souls to the polls and certainly prayers like what we did today is an effort for us to make the world a better place. This power enables our mission team to provide an average of 75 bags of food and yesterday more than 20 turkeys to those in need. Certainly a big decrease from what we've done in the past, but we still say thanks be to God for our team and their work and our partners that made it possible. Amen. It is as followers of Jesus that we could experience the divine life and power of God that fills all things. It is as followers of Jesus that we're able to endure incredible hardship and overcome enormous personal obstacles. It is as followers of Jesus that we're able to share the love and great <clears throat> grace and hope and peace and the forgiveness of our Lord, as we do when we say, peace be with you. It as followers of Christ Jesus that we're able to step out in mission and share the gospel in both our words and our deeds. None of these things is a thing in a material sense, but rather we're rich or poor, homeowners or homeless, working or unemployed, we have access to an amazing set of essential, eternal, unseen treasures. Amen. As Christians, we can honestly say to God, this day, this season, and every day after, thanks, Lord, for everything, especially for Jehovah Ra. Amen. We know that you are our God. It is you that made us, and we are yours. We thank you for your precious gifts of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love toward one another, the spirit of wisdom and grace that we see in the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. We praise you for giving us deep roots in this community, protecting from danger and the support and fellowship of brothers and sisters in faith. May we never forget that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, and that we need you, our good shepherd, and we need one another. This we pray in the strong name of our King. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have been blessed by our message, 
we welcome you to partner with us in spreading the word of God. Please visit our website, www.fpcirvington.com or follow us on our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this. May the peace of Christ be with you.